Yeah, thanks, Andrew. And good morning, everyone. Happy New Year as well. Um, it's always good to be with you. And this is my first time preaching now that we're back in, home again uh, since the renovation. So um, great to be with you. And uh, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get tucked into this, this book together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word that feeds us. Um, open my mouth to speak. Open our ears to hear and help us to respond according to your will. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So I, I want to begin uh, with my own apology. Because I'm from an American background, um, I'm going to say Philemon. I, I can't change now. Um, so just get used to that. Philemon is this um, this wonderful little hidden treasure, the shortest uh book, uh, the shortest letter that Paul has written. And I'm preaching in three services today, and so I'm working with a lot of different service directors and coordinators and leaders, and they've all said to me, I don't know anything about this book. And so I want to begin just with an overview so we know what it is that we're looking at before we realize what it has to say to us. So I've put up a few slides just to help us along the way, for those of you who like a little bit of an outline. But as we've heard, there's 25 verses. It's the shortest letter of Paul. It's also his most personal letter. I'm not sure if you're aware that when normally when Paul writes a letter, the you that he speaks about, you, is a plural you. He's speaking to the whole church. But in this letter, the you is a singular you. Even though it's meant to be read out to the whole church, he is speaking mostly um, to Philemon throughout this letter. So it's addressed to him, but also meant to be read out um, to the house church, which is in Colossae. Um, it also received Paul's letter uh, to the Colossians. In fact, this letter, Philemon, and the Colossian letter were delivered at the same time to this church, guess what, by the slave that it's written about. He takes in his own hands the letter of Philemon, the letter of the Colossians, and delivers it to the home church. We know that it was written while Paul was in prison, and he refers to himself not as an apostle, but as a prisoner and as an old man, and that will be significant. Um, and I've mentioned that it is, it's delivered by the runaway slave addressed in this letter. Um, it doesn't only speak to us about issues like slavery and discrimination. Sometimes people get embarrassed when they read about slavery in the Bible, and, and the Bible has been accused of promoting slavery. When you finish reading this letter, you will realize how incredibly false that is. But it speaks to us in our modern situations today, as we've heard on the issue of forgiveness and freedom in Christ, and also the fellowship we enjoy through him. So next, please. Just so you know, there's a story behind this, and because it's a letter, you kind of have to read between the lines uh, to get the story, so I'm going to give you the, the brief overview. Um, it's written on behalf of a slave, Philemon's slave, whose name is Onesimus. He ran away, and it seems that he stole money on the way out the door from Philemon, and it seems like the most logical thing is that he actually sought out Paul, who is in prison. Most people agree that this was a situation because Paul was in prison. It was impossible that these two would run, would have just run into each other by coincidence. Um, where Onesimus lived and where Paul was when he wrote this letter, they were far away. So the most logical scenario is because Paul was associated with this house church in Colossae, that 
Onesimus had met Paul, that he had even heard from Paul, that perhaps he was intrigued about some of the things that Paul had to say about masters and slaves and love and unity in Christ. And he seems to have run away to seek out Paul while he is in prison. And Paul leads Onesimus to Christ um, while he is in prison. But because in the day, in the Roman Empire, legally speaking, Onesimus still belonged to Philemon, Paul has this ethical dilemma. You know, what does he do? And he believes the right thing to do is to return Onesimus to Philemon. But as we have heard, he's going to return him to Philemon in an entirely different way and in an entirely different status. And because Philemon is the leader of this house church, he's the pastor, the way that he treats Onesimus is going to be really critical. This is going to begin to set a precedence in the first century about the status of masters and slaves in Christ. So it's got a whole lot of stuff um, to say to us. Next, please. So I'm going to look at just three characters, the three primary characters in this story, and they are Paul, who writes the letter, Philemon, who receives the letter and who is the pastor of the church and the owner of Onesimus, and then, last of all, Onesimus the slave. So next, please, we're just going to have a quick overview of Paul. Now, a lot of you will know some history of Paul, but for those of you who don't, it's really critical that we understand Paul's background, because once upon a time, Paul was not a Christian. He describes himself as being an enemy of Christ. He was a persecutor of the church. And according to Paul's own words, he saw his spiritual status before God as someone who was outside of the family of God and a slave to sin, a slave to death, someone who had no rights and no belonging in God's family and the kingdom of God, but rather a slave to sin and to death. But when he met Jesus, it changed everything. The gospel changed everything. He saw himself as someone who had been set free from slavery, that Christ had paid his redemption price, that he was now a member of God's family, and this changed the way that Paul thought about everything. And so a lot of people have said that this letter is not a letter where Paul spends a lot of time explaining the gospel like he does in Romans. If you want to go a really good gospel explanation, read the whole book of Romans. This is a pastoral letter. What we see here are the implications of the gospel. And this is really important because we can all say we want to be a good Christian church. We need to preach the gospel. But Paul was also concerned that we lived the gospel, that we knew as Christians the impact that the gospel must have on our everyday life. And so it's also very significant that in this letter, Paul doesn't refer to himself as an apostle. And for those of you who are not aware, apostle basically was someone who had been designated by Christ to preach the gospel and to lead the church. They had Christ's own authority. Not, not everyone was an apostle, Paul was part of a select few, and sometimes when he's writing letters uh, to different churches, he has to use his apostle title to make sure that they understand that he is speaking with Christ's authority because they are resisting him. But he doesn't call himself an apostle in this letter. He says, I'm appealing to you, Philemon, as an old man, as a prisoner in Christ. 
Paul takes this very humble status and stature. He appeals to Philemon on the basis of his own humility. He's using what is called servant leadership. He's saying, the example that you've seen in me, I want you to repeat and carry out that example. So it contains less of Paul's theology, but we see more of Paul's pastoral heart. Some of you who have heard that Paul is this hard-nosed theologian, um, this letter should change your mind uh, about that. Paul as a man was a very, very tender heart. And what's significant is that in this difficult situation, Paul perceives God's will. He sees that Christ has something profound that he wants to do through this odd, awkward situation where a slave of one of his close friends has run away, found him, become a Christian, and now he needs to send the slave back to the owner where normally he would be punished very severely. And Paul realizes that this is very significant. And so he perceives God's will. And let me just read to you again from verse 15. Paul says to Philemon, Perhaps the reason Onesimus was separated from you for a little while was so that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. And he is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and now as a brother in the Lord. Next slide, please. So now I want us to look at Philemon and Onesimus, but we also have to understand a little bit of the context of slavery in the ancient world. And we could do you know, a whole lecture on this, but we don't have time today. It's just that because the Old Testament and the New Testament both talk about slavery, and sometimes as Christians we're a little bit cringy about it, this is not to justify slavery, it's just to put it inside of its context so that we understand what we're talking about. So if we can just go to our next slide. Let me give you just a few facts. And the most key important fact is that in the ancient world, not all slavery um, was the same. In fact, the biblical word for servant and slave are exactly the same word. So translators have to work out whether to use the word servant, which sometimes they do when they want to give it a softer edge, or slave. But the reality is it's exactly the same word. And as those two pictures you've seen, which are actually, you know, you can find them in museums, they are kind of uh, statues and reliefs of pictures of slaves and masters in the ancient world, you can already see some of the differences. So on one slide, you know, you see this picture of a master treating his slave quite tenderly. And remember, masters often had to pay a high price for their slaves. Sometimes the slaves were very valuable to them. And so you wanted to, like you treat your car well, you wanted to invest well in your slave because they could serve you better. I want you to think about Daniel or Joseph in the Old Testament and the way they started off as prisoners and slaves, but they were elevated to very high positions. But then you can see in the other picture of slavery, uh, depending on who got them and where they were, they could be treated just like cattle. And I want you to think about Israel in Egypt, and because they were numerous, and there were lots of them, they were treated harshly. When one wore out, they could be thrown, you know, over the hill, and 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 there would be another one to take their place. So, where the slave landed had everything to do with how they were going to be treated and their status. So, let me just give a few more facts if we just move on to our next slide. So, in the ancient world, slavery was widespread in all societies, including in Israel. 
in the Roman Empire, which is a significant because Philemon is a letter that was written into the Roman Empire in the first century. The estimates are that more than a quarter of the population, some scholars say it was higher than that, but at least a quarter of the population were slave, and slavery formed the backbone of the economy. And so this is a significant thing for us to think about, and I like that one scholar compared slavery to modern vehicles. So if you can think about anything today that runs from petrol or from coal, planes, trains, and automobiles, imagine that if today they said, you know what, these vehicles, they run on petrol, fossil fuels, and everything, we need to get rid of them today. And so they just abolished all cars and all planes and all trains. What would it do to society and what would it do to the economy? Well, I wouldn't be here today because I wouldn't have been able to get down here from Springwood and people wouldn't go to work, people couldn't travel from one place to another and overseas and all of that. It would grind everything to a halt. And so one of the challenges for the church in the first century was to transform slavery, to transform its meaning, to transform the dignity of slaves from the inside, um, rather than having a civil war and trying to abolish it from the outside. So we know that slavery was a big enough issue even in New Testament times because Paul writes about it and Peter writes about it. It's just assumed that sitting there in every church there were masters and slaves and that's why in books like Ephesians and Philemon and Colossians and Paul's letter to the, uh, Peter's letter to the church, that he talks to masters and slaves about how they are to treat one another because it was very common. But Jesus and the New Testament gives slaves a new status and begins to transform things from within the inside. And a lot of historians today say that it was Christianity that was the major force that slowly but surely helped to abolish slavery from the face of the earth. So, just a little bit of context, if we can go on to our next slide. Now we're going to look at Philemon, who is the recipient of this letter and also the slave owner. Next slide, please. I loved what one scholar said about this letter, that in this letter you can see Paul with an arm around Philemon and his other arm around Onesimus. And I thought that was such a beautiful way to explain this letter. Um, as if, you know, if you have two children, as I did, and they were growing up and they would fight sometimes, and every now and again you need to put your arm around both of them to let them know I love you both, and you might be competing, but you are both my children, and I want you to come together. Well, Paul has one of his arms around Philemon. And he calls him a dear friend and a fellow worker. Let me just remind you of some of what Paul has said from verse 4. I always thank my God, as I remember you in my prayers, because I hear about your love for all his people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in the deepening of your understanding of every good thing that we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Philemon is a good man, a loving man, and a dear friend of Paul's. But Philemon is also a slave owner. Let me read again to you from verse 8. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and I could order you to do what you ought to do, 
Yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is none other than Paul, an old man and a prisoner of Christ. On that basis, I appeal to you for my son, Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. And I am sending you uh, I am sending him who is my very heart back to you. I would have liked to have kept him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor that you would do would not seem forced but would be voluntary. So Paul knows that because Philemon is a leader of this church, that the way he responds to this situation and this letter is going to have an, a, ma a massive precedent. And it's very interesting that at the end, we discover that it's Paul's hope that he is actually going to visit Philemon. He's going to say, set up a guest room for me. I want to see how you have responded. But he also expects that he will have done even more than what Paul asked. From verse 21, confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one more thing, prepare a guest room for me because I hope to be restored and answer to your prayers. So some people have said they read Philemon and Paul sort of twisting Philemon's arm to make him do it. But Paul is saying, actually I'm saying these things to you, but as a good man and as a mature Christian, I already know you will not only do what I've asked you to do, but you will do more than that. Next slide, please. So that now brings us to the slave Onesimus. And we'll just look at a few facts about him next. So Onesimus was a slave, and it's really helpful if we know that his name literally means useful. Um, which means it sounds like Philemon has probably given him his name because useful is kind of a slave's name, isn't it? He, you're useful to me, I'll name you useful. And therefore you can see this play on words that goes throughout this letter. He became useless to Philemon. Useful became useless because he ran away from his master and he robbed him on the way out the door. But through Paul's witness in prison, when he says, he became my son, and he says that twice, here he became my son, I'm sending him back to you now, not as a slave, but as a brother, it becomes clear that Paul leads Onesimus to faith in Jesus Christ. And so you can now see Paul putting his other arm around Onesimus. He says, you are my son. You are very dear to me. You are my partner in the gospel. You are very useful to me. And you notice that Paul says to him, you are my own heart. Verse 12, I am sending him who is my own heart back to you. Can you see what Paul is doing here? You know, he's got an arm around each of these people and he's saying to Philemon, you are my partner. And Onesimus, you are my partner. Because Philemon was an older man, like Paul. Philemon, you are my brother. Onesimus, you are my son. 
You know, we we are united in the gospel. But because Philemon still technically owned Onesimus, in legal terms, it's important to understand, according to the Roman government, Onesimus had broken the law, he had run away from his master, and Philemon was free to do whatever he wanted to do with Onesimus. But Paul says, while that's true, legally speaking, he belongs to you, I want to appear, appeal to a gospel principle. And this is really important for us who live in an age where the law doesn't always coincide with the gospel. Paul says, whatever the law says, that's fine. Follow it. But there's a higher gospel principle. Technically, he belongs to you as your property, but I'm appealing to who he is in Christ. And so what's really interesting is that we find this out in the letter to the Colossians, in Colossians 4.9, you can see it up there on the screen. So he sends Onesimus back along with another helper by the name of Tychicus, and he says, Tychicus is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you, writing to the whole church. And they will tell you everything that is happening to me. So now you can kind of see the tension of the story, right? Paul takes two pieces of scripture, the book of Philemon and the book of Colossians, places it in the hand of Onesimus, the slave who has become his gospel partner and his dear son in his own heart, and says, take these back to Philemon and back to the church and have them read out for everyone to hear. It's going to be pretty important, the response that Paul gets to these letters. We'll just go to our next slide. So what do we do with these, um, with with a book like this? And I was going through, and I was looking at what some other scholars and students did, and I came across this slide, and I thought, this guy, whoever he is, nailed it. Philemon, it's a book about forgiveness and freedom and friendship and fellowship in Christ. I thought he he's got it, and he's managed to do something that starts with all F. So I'm I'm just going to steal it, but I'm going to do it in a slightly different order, so that it sort of follows chronologically as the letter pans out. So next slide. First of all, freedom. Paul says in verses 15 and 16, "Welcome Onesimus, no longer as a slave, but as a fellow man." and a dear brother in the Lord. And then in that other letter that Onesimus is carrying, the Colossian letter, Paul writes to the whole church, here in this church, there is no Greek or Jew, no, no Jew or Gentile. There's no circumcised or uncircumcised. And then notice he says, and there is no slave or free, because Christ is all and Christ is in all. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ and he became the head of our church and his spirit fills the slave and the free as well and the Jew and the Gentile as well and the rich and the poor and the man and the woman as well, he makes us one in Christ. There is no longer slave or free. We have all become servants of Jesus Christ and we have all been set free in Christ. It's a book that speaks about freedom. Next slide, please. Paul also says in the book of Colossians, and you can read more about this, but he says, Masters, give to your servants, give to your slaves that which is just 
and that which is equal, knowing that you have a master in heaven. And in these instructions, you can see Paul starting to transform households who all most had most had slaves within them from the inside he says to the slaves serve your master just like you were serving Christ because Christ didn't come to be served but to serve and masters treat your slaves like members of your household because you have a master so treat them the way that you want to be treated which leads us on to our next slide it speaks about friendship, and I think a better word is fellowship. Friendship, sometimes we just speak about between two people. Fellowship really speaks about the relationships that we have as a whole church. Paul says in verse 17, so if you consider me a partner, he says to Philemon, welcome Onesimus as you would welcome me. In the first century world, hospitality was incredibly important, and the way that you treated and honored your guests said a lot about you. And so you can see now Paul is sending Onesimus back, and he's saying, but I'm not sending your slave back to you. I'm sending my son. Treat him well. I'm not sending your slave back to you. I am sending back my partner, my gospel partner to you. In fact, the one who is able to be with me while you're still back at home, treat him well. In fact, what I am sending back to you is my own heart. Treat him well. Treat him as you would treat me. Love one another as you love your own self. Next slide. And finally, Paul speaks of forgiveness. He says, if Onesimus has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, I'm signing this in my own hand. I'll pay it back. Not to mention that you, Philemon, owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you and the Lord. Refresh my heart. Again, Paul's appealing to two principles. One, the legal principle. Philemon has wronged you, he's robbed you, he owes you, so charge that to me. I will bear the consequences of Onesimus' sin. Unless you as the pastor of the church understand that you too have wronged your master. You sinned against your master, and in Christ he paid the penalty for your sin, and he forgave you. So, if you have gained any benefit from my teaching and from my gospel ministry, then appeal to the higher principle. Forgive Onesimus as you have been forgiven. And in the letter to the Colossians, which Onesimus is also carrying, remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. So finally, what do we do with this letter? How do we respond Philippians 2, it's speaking about Jesus, and I like this translation because I think it's a better translation. It says, Jesus emptied himself by taking the form of a slave. Some translations say servant, but it's the same word. And the way that Jesus was treated was much more not like a butler wearing a collar, but like a slave who was beaten and cast out and mistreated. Jesus became a slave became a human being like us.
and he found himself in the form of a human, he humbled himself. He took the lowest place, the place of a slave, which was the lowest member of society, and he became obedient on our behalf, even to death on a cross. He served humanity, and he served his God by doing not what he wanted. Father, if there's any other way, take this cup from me. But he gave up all for the benefit of his Father in heaven and for the good of his church. So our final slide then says, so let this mind be in you. And I just wanted to conclude by reading to you from a little bit more from Philippians. Um, which I think concludes this well. And because I have to run off after this, let me just let this be kind of our, our scripture and prayer of benediction. Paul writes to the Philippians, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if there's any comfort from his love, if there's any common sharing in his spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit, being one in mind. Don't do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Don't look only to your own interest, but each of you look to the interest of others. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that Christ came to be a slave on our behalf, that through him you paid the redemption price for our sin so that we could be set free, that you took those of us who were slaves to sin and made us members of your own household that you called us together into fellowship whether we are male or female, regardless of our ethnic background or heritage, regardless of our economic status, regardless of anything else. You poured out your spirit into us all and you placed us in one family under the headship of Jesus Christ who came not to be served but to serve. <clears throat> Lord, we pray that the mind of Christ will live in us that we will treat one another uh, as better than ourselves, that we would serve one another on your behalf, and that we would declare to a guilty world the freedom that is ours in Christ. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. <laughs>